Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, PodcastOne.com, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Have you been wanting to lose weight and get healthy? Now's the perfect time to start Nutrisystem. Enjoy your favorite foods made healthier, delivered free to your door. Right now, you can get Uniquely Yours Ultimate, our most complete foolproof plan at an amazing price. Order today and save 50%, plus get an extra $40 off. Go to Nutrisystem.com slash save and discover what millions of people already know. Nutrisystem works. Limitations apply. See website for full offer details. All right, it is the uh, April 6th edition of the PFF Forecast. We've got, this is the best one of the year. Um, we've got Fred Gadelli on the podcast, executive producer of Sunday Night Football, 23-time award winner, the whole deal. Uh, he's on the podcast, so that'll be the bulk of our podcast. We'll do a little intro, a little current event stuff, uh, and then we'll wrap it up at the end. Uh, but that's going to be our show today, so let's rock. All right, we are uh, in April. We're packing the churches in like 10 days, buddy. Oh no. Uh, I mean, like I said, I'm, <laughs> I just, that, that'll tilt me probably more than anything uh, as I think CNN did a, a special on our, our uh, state mates in here in Ohio packing the churches. I, it, it's going to be one of those where I, I don't know what's going to happen. Um, you know, in the future, we look back on this and think about, you know, how out to lunch we were about this pandemic. It's going to be the 10 years from now, look back, hopefully we're out of it by then. Uh, is going to be crazy. This is, um, I was thinking about this, we were talking last week, like, who's the person who we'd want to talk to, given that we work in football. And, you know, football is just kind of in this bubble right now relative to the rest of the world. And so Fred came to mind because he is the, the by far the number one producer in football, certainly, and probably all of sports uh, production. Um, he did Monday Night Football, uh, he currently does Sunday night football, um, has worked with Al Michaels, John Madden, the whole crew for a really long time. Um, and he's gracious enough. He spent like 35 minutes with us. So that interview is fantastic. We filmed that before the whole Trump sports commissioner consortium happened. And I'm actually glad we did because um, that, that whole thing was like, I mean, would you say that anything substantive even came out of that? No, I mean, we were worried that something would, right? I mean, and that would make <laughs> the interview, um, you know, obsolete. But, you know, as far as, I mean, I don't know what else he has to say at this point. Um, but, you know, your tweet saying, you know, I, I'm a little bit worried now, uh, you know, it's probably fair. Yeah. yeah, it's probably fair given, you know, basically every single thing he said about the pandemic has been wrong uh, in real time. And, and so, uh, but at that being said, I don't know what he's supposed to say in this situation other than, um, you know, uh, some optimism, but, uh, I would be pretty worried if, you know, folks took his, you know, his, his call as, you know, Hey, there's nothing to worry about. That would be my biggest concern because frankly, uh, they should be planning, uh, on, you know, uh, some, uh, secondary sort of, uh, types of play. I mean, there's gotta, if the NFL just sits back and it's like, Trump said, we'll be back, we'll be back. Like nothing we need to do. Then I have a very low confidence that we're playing football in September. Um, and what Fred will talk about this a bunch, which is like the number of different options that he's preparing for. Um, but it, 
it made me wonder, and you are probably um, the person whose opinion on this I, I respect the most, given your background and studying this whole freaking type of thing. Um, do you think coming out of this, there's going to be changes to our society that are so basically permanent, not like things that like for a month or two, but like things that really stick with us permanently for, you know, the rest of our lifetime. You know, I don't think uh, it's going to be as, as uh, overt as let's say, um, you know, like nine 11 or pro, you know, things like that, that ended up being war uh, ended up building, you know, making, you know, the Department of Homeland Security, TSA, all that kind of stuff. But I do think we're going to be a little bit more cognizant of the fact that your your opinions do kind of matter, right? Like I've mm-hmm. I've sort of gone over, like, in, you know, two, 3,000 years ago, if you had a really stupid opinion, you were probably going to be eaten by a bear or, <laughs> or, or ripped to shreds by a tiger. And then there are these, you know, so like, for example, and I don't <laughs> want to- That could happen nowadays if yeah. you just marry Carol Baskin. I just don't, I don't want to single people out, but there are folks who are like, you know, Hey, I don't like to vaccinate my kids and to each their own. When in reality, like, no infectious diseases are the exact opposite of to reach their own. And you actually have to like walk this earth with evidence-based opinions, you know? And that's something that I think, you know, has fallen by the wayside currently that might actually, we might actually trust scientists and experts a little bit more uh, than we did, uh, you know, previously, but that's, that's just a hope I have. I don't know. I mean, we're, we're not even to sort of the apex of this yet. That's interesting. That's one thing that I, I hadn't considered. And I actually think now that you say it, that might be something that's changing already amongst groups of people who just a few months ago were like, no, these scientists are idiots. <laughs> no one's died from coronavirus yet, right? There are people saying yeah. that like two months ago and they've had to quite literally eat their words. Uh, you brought up 9-11 and I've heard people say, oh, this is the biggest... Um, you know, thing that we've dealt with <clears throat> in our lifetimes for the past like hundred years or whatever. And I mean, I was pretty young when nine 11 happened. So maybe that's why I think this way, but I don't think it's crazy for me to say that's ridiculous. Like nine 11 to me was far bigger than this in the sense that there was so much unknown and like legit fear yeah. over the future of the country. And here I think people are, well, look, this is going to suck, but if, if we suck it up, like we'll come out the other side of it. And to me, that's why maybe there isn't as much change as we hope. Whereas with 9-11, it's like, holy crap, the way that you travel will never be the same. Like they, the Department of Homeland Security, like all you know, it was a war. That, yeah. Quite honestly, like we're still fighting. Um, and that's why I think maybe we come out of this and people are like, okay, Zoom chats were cool. But you know what's even cooler? Like going out to this bar that I couldn't go to for six months. Well, I think it's also, you know, 9-11 was unifying because at the time there was really no finger pointing. True. I mean, when you look at, um, when you look at like the, the, the financial crisis of 2008, I mean, the majority of people who were not out to lunch at the time sort of knew what the reasons for this, that, that event was, um, you know, people now, you know, we're not united as a result of this because it's pretty clear, like why we weren't prepared for it, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and Whereas with 9-11, I think, the, you know, President Bush's approval rating went through the roof because, again, no one, you know, it was literally something no one could have predicted. Whereas, you know, like having, you know, a pandemic was something that a lot of people predicted, even like, you know, George W. Bush there came out that, you know, his essay from 05 came out today, uh, you know, about it. Right. And it's and it's one of those where we're not uniting as a country necessarily because we're pointing fingers at people. I mean, we still are. I mean, 
you know, the, the, the shaming people for congregating, you know, and, and all that kind of stuff, um, you know, or, or, you know, folks like Clay Travis saying we're too negative, all that kind of, all that stuff. So I do think 9-11 has a bigger effect because we were all in it together. I still don't think we're all in it together right now. That's, I mean, look, I went for a run today because it was nice outside and I don't know if I've ever seen them in DC right now. I'm not sure if I've seen that many people like on the national mall. And a lot of, in fairness, a lot of them are practicing social distancing and there's a lot of people wearing masks and stuff like that. But it, to me signaled that, Hey, there is this like, okay, we're going to be all right sort of deal. And like, when we come out of this, people are going to be willing to go outside. Here's one thought though, because we're going to, we're talking about football and how it's impacted. Are you going to be more or less, are you going to be more reticent to go to a chiefs game? Like if, if, if week one, you get tickets to the chiefs game and they're putting people in stadiums, are you going to that game? No, I don't think so. I mean, um, I, I think that will be a, a lasting thing is that we're just going to be a little bit more discerning with how we spend, uh, you know, how we congregate with people, right? Like, I yeah. mean, until there's a vaccine and until there's, uh, you know, a, um, you know, until we're over this, until R0 is clearly less than one, uh, you know, universally and in space and time, I'm probably going to, you know, avoid uh, things that are unnecessary. And I do think that that's like, you know, all – all sort of, um, you know, trials and tribulations that we go through as a society, what ends up happening is oftentimes we'll, we'll tighten, uh, you know, the set of things we do to the things that are only essential, right? And that, that's probably a, a smart thing to do. And I think social gatherings are going to be one of those where, okay, it's already really risky that our kids are going to school or that we go to church or we go, you know, we go to uh, uh, the office. Uh, why increase that by going to a Bengals game when, you know, <laughs> Well, there's really, there's really not a whole lot to see. <laughs> uh, I mean, if they have Burrow, maybe there's a, yeah. there's a reason to go watch them. No, I was thinking about it again, too. And I was like, there's going to be so many interesting things about when, when this does, when we come out of this and people are like, okay, now I can go back outside. Like people were predicting that there'd be this like baby boom after people are in quarantine. And I actually think it's the reverse. Like, I think finally, once people are like free and out there, there'll be this like, holy crap, like, thank God. And then um, nine months later, you'll want to have invested in, in diaper delivery services. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, I think people uh, to the point of sort of respecting ex- experts and things like that. I mean, for a long time, we've maligned people who work in, you know, fast food, we've maligned mm-hmm. nurses, we've maligned teachers. And I think, I think a lot of people who have thoughtlessly done that, uh, are getting a big dose of reality. So it, it's a, I, I think it'll be an edifying time for the people who choose to think about it. And um, who knows what will happen uh, to folks who are sort of still denying that this is a thing. It's an interesting conversation. We're going to talk to Fred Gidelli. We talked to him on Friday. It's about 35, 40 minutes. It's really good. We even do a mini redraft of the greatest NFL draft of all time that he was the producer for. Um, so it was a great conversation. We're going to go to Fred now, and then we'll come back. Uh, afterwards. So here is Fred Cadelli. All right. We are joined once again. We had him on last year. He didn't hate us too much. So he's back. Fred Cadelli. He's Chris Collinsworth's boss. That's exciting for us. If you don't know who he is, you probably should. The executive producer of Sunday Night Football and NBC. Um, no big deal. Just a record ninth straight time is the most watched show in primetime. Should mention that. Produced Monday Night Football back when it was awesome. Uh, the eight- produced the 
produced the NFL draft. I think your bio said you've won 23 Emmys, which both feels like it should be a record and probably not enough. Um, and no one that I can think is better to talk to right now because of what the hell is going on. So the season ends. I don't know. Do you take a day off? What is your process like? And then simultaneously, there's a pandemic happening and football is like almost excluded from it. What, what's your what's it been like from your vantage point? Well, when the season ends, the first thing I, I like dive into hard is the schedule, meaning what our schedule is going to be for, you know, 2020. So that's what I was doing. And obviously there were two dominoes. We were waiting to see what was going to happen. Would Drew Brees retire or uh, would he still play? Obviously he chose to play. And then where would Tom Brady end up? Uh, because that was going to also uh, signal a couple of moves. I mean, uh, I'm not sure how many people had the Tampa Bay Bucks on their uh, <laughs> wish list before Tom got there. But uh, now that Tom is there, he's on everybody's wish list. And, you know, what do he do with the Patriots? I personally think the Patriots are uh, very relevant. And I think there's going to be a lot of curiosity as to, you know, who's going to be the quarterback, quarterback, but how they're going to function. So that's what I was, you know, working on the most was a schedule. Uh, and then trying to plan out. Uh, the meeting schedule, uh, as you know, we try to get the team back together. As a matter of fact, at our first Sunday night football meeting of the year uh, yesterday or two days ago, I should say. And um, so we're proceeding like, you know, it's business as usual, knowing it's, it's not going to be business <laughs> as usual for a long, long, long time. Uh, but so far, other than the draft and probably – OTAs and minicamp, you know, the NFL has been somewhat affected, certainly, certainly not as affected as hockey, basketball, college, or all that, baseball. It's, it was funny you said, you mentioned the Patriots, because Eric and I have talked about this, and we both think that they should kind of play for the future, but there's that Bill Belichick, oh, I think I can win with anybody. And it seems like that's what you think he's going to going to try and do. I mean, if you guys think for two seconds, Bill Belichick is going to concede a game. I mean, he <laughs> concede a snap. Uh, there is no way he's conceding anything. And I'm not even thinking, oh, I, I want to prove something here. No, no. The DNA is to coach every single play and every single player, you know, to their fullest ability. And, Nothing is going to change for him uh, or his coaching staff. Well, but then at, at what, what's the purpose right now of going into everything with, with Stidham and Hoyer? Is he, is he really that confident in his, in his abilities? Or do you think that there's a chance that they go after somebody like Cam Newton or Andy Dalton or uh, to, uh, uh, so, well, a couple of years ago, right? There was the thought that they were going to move up for Mayfield. Uh, that never materialized. Is that something that you think is sort of in his back pocket? They don't have as much draft capital in 2020 as they would in 2021. Yeah, I mean, but he can certainly, you know, access picks from 21 and put them into this year for trade value. Mm -hmm. Look, I think, you know, he probably, you know, he, it wasn't like this caught him by surprise, right? I mean, he, he pretty much forced the move. I mean, if he had, you know, opened his arms and patted him and, you know, all those things, Tom's probably still the quarterback, but you know, in his mind, and I'm, I'm just guessing here, in his mind, he's probably saying, look, 
I never saw a quarterback have as great a season at 41 as Tom had or at 42 as Tom had. Uh, I mean, and Tom wasn't great last year. I understand that, but there are a lot of reasons for that. You know, I just think in his mind, hey, at some point, you know, he may not be what he's been, and now might be the right time just to kind of move forward. But I think he's got a bunch of plans. But, you know, the one thing you know about Bill is he's always going to look to upgrade every position on the team. So, look, he may be thinking, I want, you know, Tua or I want Herbert. I mean, I don't think Herbert. But, you know, um, I do know this. Uh, he likes Stidham. I mean, I, he, I don't know that he thinks Stidham is the quarterback of the future, but I know when we would, met with Bill last year, I think before the first game, we talked about Stidham a little bit. And to that point, you know, he seemed pretty positive about him. What's trans, you know, what happened through a whole season and practices and all that? I don't know, but I, I know this. Uh, he's not winging this. <laughs> <laughs> I think it would be. I think it'd be fascinating. I know you would love this is if next year the Patriots go through this kind of, Hey, we won with Tom Brady playing this way. And now we're going to try and win in this like totally different way. And he brings in some crazy offensive scheme we've never seen before. And then you get a chance to tell that story, you know, for everyone in America, that to me would be the interesting way to see them try and win games next year. Yeah. I mean, who knows? I mean, again, it depends, you know, who that player is going to be like, you know, Bill, like he's not married to any scheme, you know, he's married to, Hey, what does this player do best and how can I utilize him to his fullest? So that that's what he's going to do. And, uh, and that's why I think they will be interesting and relevant as long as he can get production out of that position. Yeah. Speak. Uh, okay. So speaking of, you know, the draft, right. And to, uh, and all the, and all of these things in the Patriots, what they're going to approach. Um, it's still scheduled as planned. Uh, and you've done, you've produced drafts for ESPN before. Um, how would, given the constraints of this, of, of this current situation, how would you produce this draft? Well, I'll just say this. So the first draft I worked was 1983. So that was the <laughs> draft the five quarterbacks the, the the best one of all time really right and uh you know i was in a very very low level position i was actually on the floor of the sheridan park uh, the sheridan seventh avenue there whatever it was named back then but you know that was a really quiet room i mean there were 28 tables with helmets on them and two people from each team at the table there was probably a dozen nfl executives and like 20 fans upstairs you know so this probably isn't going to be a whole lot different than that was there weren't any players at the draft uh there weren't any celebrities at the draft so i mean look uh the thing about the draft is we always said this when we were at espn we basically took a meeting where an announcement was back in those days every 50 minutes and turned it into this huge event and how did we do it well you know we had commentators we had highlights of every player Eventually, we expanded to have um, report at team remotes. Now, you won't be able to have a reporter at a team remotes, but you will be able to have a reporter plugged into a team because mm-hmm. they have their contacts and, you know, they're able to work. So, you know, thankfully, it's not 1983. We have all this technology that it can be utilized right now. So, 
Uh, will the background look di- different? Will it look like a spectacle? No, the spectacle is gone for this year. There'll be no like a spectacle or Nashville spectacle, spectacle or Philly, Chicago, whatever. That's gone. But the crux of it, the meat of it, uh, the thing that people t- tune in for, you know, Mel Kuyper or uh, Daniel Ramaya or the highlights, I mean, that's all to be there. And I'm sure they'll be able to FaceTime players in as they get select. So I think it's going to be compelling. And I, I, I mean, this isn't an uh, outrageous prediction, but it's probably the highest rated draft ever because there's nothing yeah. on the right now yeah. to watch it. No, I, I mean, thinking about we do a draft show that we do live, you know, on, on YouTube and on social media, right. and everyone's living on social media right now. So we're, we're like kind of nervous because, well, we have to do everything remotely, but also kind of excited because there's going to be more eyeballs on it and more of an opportunity. People okay. aren't going to be paying attention to what suit Joe Burrow's wearing. And so the opportunity to show them information that's really interesting think it's heightened now yeah no question and you know my last couple years it's funny um not that it's funny but when this whole you know when all this social distancing and stay at home when all that happened you know i'm watching cnn or i'm watching msnt or whatever news channel i'm on and you see all video conferences going on and uh i reached out to like four other producers that i used to produce the nfl draft with and we, we really kind of started that. We had video conferencing installed at every team where we didn't have a reporter. So we'd have like eight or nine reporters. So, you know, at 24 teams, we had video conferencing installed. And, okay, uh, the Lions just made their uh, – bring Matt Millen, you know, to uh, video conferencing. Or, oh, the Bucks just made their pick. Uh, Tony Dungy to uh, <laughs> video conferencing. So uh, I'm telling you – I don't think it's other than the spectacle. I don't think it's going to be a whole lot different. I think you'll get all the highlights you want, you get all the commentary. I think you will have access to the team, or you know, you'll have access to somebody at a team uh, because we have this great technology now. So it'll be interesting, and it may force people to rethink how they produce a lot of shows now because these things aren't expensive. Uh, right. Whereas the other things that we do as you know, are very expensive. So I think it's going to force some change in our business and change for the good. Yeah, no Skycam for the NFL draft. Uh, you mentioned the 83 draft, and I want to ask you about the Giants this year. But Eric and I have been talking about, you know, without a lot of content to, to talk about, what about redrafting some previous drafts? And there's probably no better person to ask this of. If you had to redraft the 83 draft off the top of your head in like 60 seconds, how would you do it? You're not going to change the first pick, right? I mean, okay. would you? Uh, I wouldn't. Okay. I mean, I, I wouldn't change the first pick. Moreno's probably your second pick. Um, and, you know, I think with Dickerson, was he the second pick or the third pick in left? He was two. It was, no, was it Kurt Warner and then Eric Dickerson or the no, other way around? It was no, Dickerson. Dickerson. He was top three. He was the second pick. Yep. Probably, you know, again, a different brand of football back in the 80s than we play today. Uh, and he went to the right team with the right coach, with John Robinson, who had been recruiting him since high school, by the way. Uh, <laughs> so I think those three picks, you'd probably keep up there. Daryl Green definitely goes higher than 28. There's no question of that. Yep. Uh, you know, uh, Blackwood. What about, you know, what about Kelly? Kelly? 
Yeah, Kelly's probably five pick, right? I mean, he's got to yeah. be a top five, I would think. Well, know, even, and- even with okay. the career Ken O'Brien had, he's probably higher, right? Because he ended up being a quarterback who started for a decade. What, you like know. 18, 17, was he 17, 18, or was he higher than that? I can't he was remember. after Kelly, I think, uh, before Kelly, Marino. Kelly was like 14. Yeah, I think uh, O'Brien was 24. He was 24. Okay. Yeah. But I think, you know, Elway and Marino right off the bat. And then that, that, that class had a lot of Hall of Famers. Wasn't Bruce Matthews in that class? Yep. Right? Yeah, he was ninth, eighth. Yeah. Uh, there, there, were, there, were, there were quite a few Hall of Fame players in that class. Joey Browner, uh, you know, pretty Giants good safety. Carl Banks, right? I think the yeah. Giants had two first-round picks. I think they took Carl Banks and William Roberts. Yeah, you probably you don't take William Rock. Although he was fine, he was a good player. Carl Banks was a real good player, so yeah, you're probably was. that pick. Uh, I'm trying to think there were a couple other linebackers. I think that were pretty that were pretty good in that draft as well. That that was a phenomenal draft, man. That was, as I like to say, that was well stocked. I I really think the Elway Marino question would be hotly debated because yeah, no, no question, right? Because I mean. It's almost like if you were trying to think of the best facsimiles, maybe it's Charles Barkley in the NBA, like a guy who was amazing, but clearly doesn't get that extra level of then, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. this guy was the greatest of all time conversation because of the Super Bowls, uh, because of the the championships. So I don't know, it'd be interesting. Um, Yeah. Marino, unlike Barkley, left the game with every meaningful passing record, right? True. Right. You know, touchdowns he had yards he had all those records and charles who was phenomenal you know nba player, you know unfortunately for him he was in the era of jordan where right. you know everybody's generalized because they were in the era of jordan yeah what a about- couple a couple second round picks to speak to your point fred uh leonard marshall for the giants uh i okay. believe he made is he not a hall of famer he's at least an all all giants team right Without a doubt, defensive tackle. Yeah, he was terrific. Daryl Talley, Henry Ellard, all second-round picks. Roger Craig of San Francisco, uh, also really, really good. I mean, just an absolute Albert Lewis of Kansas City in round three. So that that was just an amazing draft. Was Covert in that draft for the uh, Bears? Yeah, he was the sixth overall pick. Yeah, I mean, he's in the Hall of Fame this year. I mean, it was. I mean, that that's some draft. Maybe maybe Carl Malone. The better Dan Marino comparison. Yeah, that's, a, that's a good one. Yeah, Carmelo. That's a good one. Um, okay, we'll we'll go from eighty three to twenty twenty. Right. You, we're not going to talk about the Knicks. We won't have to talk about the Knicks. We'll talk only about the Giants. Thankfully, they're sitting there at four. Um, I think it was a couple months ago, maybe during the combine. You asked me about Big Boy Becton yeah. and what uh, how he did last year. So now you've had a couple months. You've been able to pour into all the scouting reports. Pick four comes around. What do you want to see happen? Well, I think they have to exhaust every possibility to try up and get Chase Young. I know the Redskins are probably not making a deal with the Redskins. Uh, but, um, I mean, they have two tremendous area of need. A game-changing pass rusher and a, you know, all-world left tackle. Uh, to me, they have to come out of the draft – you know, with one of those two things. Um, I know the linebacker from Clemson, Isaiah Simmons, people like him, but, you know, you're going to have to have the right coach and the right system to take advantage of a guy like that. And I know Patrick Graham comes from Belichick's system and 
you know, Bill obviously that is multiple and good at players and, and put position make plays. Uh, I don't know. You tell me, is that high for him? Is that high for Simmons? Um, but if I'm the Giants, you know, it's got to be a game changing defensive player or a, you know, 10 time pro ball left tackle. There's a scenario where Young and Simmons are still available at four, I think, because if, if someone trades up to either two or three for Tua, and then, right. you know, maybe Okuda goes um, at three to the Detroit three, Lions, you know, that, that would be a way to make it happen. I, it's interesting that you said two big areas of need because. Eric and I honestly have caught a lot of flack for talking about how a huge area of need for the Giants is receiving. Yeah. So are you either A, confident in what they have at receiver now, or do you just think, well, I would rather see Daniel Jones make it happen by himself? What, why wasn't that up there for you? Well, I mean, I, I would just say this. I mean, for uh, five years, we had arguably one of the top five receivers in the game – and they went, coming. they went to the playoffs once. Yeah. You know, he was phenomenal and made great plays. And Is, That's was, Eli's fault, though. It was not Eli's fault. Defenses had to take advantage, you know, take uh, a <laughs> look for him. Um, but, look, the Giants, when the Giants have been good in their history, they've won with pass rushers and, and lots of them. I don't know if you've been watching any of these Sunday night football classics this week. Oh, yeah. You know, you watched the uh, you watched the the night the Jerry World Open or the Man Ball. I mean, you look at the Giant. I mean, they're just bringing in defensive end after defensive end after defensive end, and they're getting after the quarterback. And that's that's kind of always they won. And you look at their defense now, and like, uh, who 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 are they? You, I mean, look, I know they have some you know solid tackles, but those aren't the guys that generally you know uh, get the sacks, but. You know, the receivers, look, I always think, too, I mean, didn't they get a good, pretty, a decent receiver last year in the fifth round? Yeah, Slayton, Slayton was pretty good, and, and Tate's. Um, but I also think, and I agree with him, I mean, you think back historically, that I think everybody remembers the 07 team as being the team that could rush Justin Tuck up the middle, OCU Minora, and Strahan on the outside. But when I think of the two most recent Giants Super Bowl teams, I think of the the Victor Cruz coming out of nowhere to be, you know, the leading receiver in the NFL in 2011. And then I think of the 07 team, I think of uh, Plexico Burris, uh, Steve Smith, and then Amani Toomer. You know, I think of the, those guys really elevating Eli Manning. Um, and so, I don't know. I agree that they, they certainly have needs at those positions, right. but uh, receivers also a position where they could. Shepard, Tate, and Slayton, and, you know, I mean, well, Coleman. I mean, if I mean, I think those guys are good enough for now, but mm-hmm. they're not nearly good enough in the positions that we're talking about. And look, I mean, in the NFL, if you can't protect the quarterback or get to the quarterback, it's really hard to win. And they haven't been able to do that now for almost you know ten years. They they also can't cover a linebacker too. I mean, they, there are so many. <laughs> There's so many no, they places. Have a lot of, they have a lot of they have a lot of needs. There's no question about it. But yeah. I think you know that's why you're going to have to get creative uh, defensively. And then if they went with Simmons. I mean, hey, you better be utilizing this person yeah. in a lot of yeah. different places to really maximize what he does. 
Because if you're just going to say, hey, we're going to play him at like, you know, he's going to be like the eighth man in the box or something like that, then yeah. I'm not having the impact you need him to make. So what's the – because our our thought is what's the way to find out most quickly whether or not Daniel Jones – so this is my next question. Like, right. So – the what's the, mo- the 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 fastest way to find out if Daniel Jones is any good is to give him all the weapons in the world. And to your point about left tackle protection is certainly a weapon uh, that that a quarterback utilizes. But like for us, it's it's sort of find out in two years or three years whether Daniel Jones is good enough, and then move on. Or you know, obviously lean into him if he's any good. What do you think about Daniel Jones as a prospect for the the Giants at QB? Well, one thing I do know is he won't be any good on his back, right? I mean, that's, <laughs> that's not any good on his back. And I think the, the real negative to him last year was that he had a lot of fumbles in the pocket when yeah. he collapsed around him. So if he doesn't fix that, uh, and I was talking to Jason Garrett about this, I mean, if he doesn't fix that, then, you know, he's got, you know, he's got problems. So, um, look, I think – you know, and again, these are all big ifs. Evan Ingram has never been healthy for an entire season, but if he's healthy, Golden Tate, Sterling Shepard, uh, I mean, and then Saquon as your ultimate, you know, uh, check down. I mean, that to me is enough weapons, you know, to really get it done. But if you cannot protect him uh, or you can't run it, you know, enough with Saquon or run it effectively enough with Saquon, I, you know, I don't think it's really going to matter. But and then the other part of that is, if you can't stop anyone, and we know they couldn't stop anyone, yeah, right, right, right. And I mean, how many games are you going to win? Forty-two to thirty-five. I mean, you're not going to win a lot of games that way. Yeah, I mean, even if Akuda slipped, you know, the, but there's so much. Anyone on the defense would help. Um, and look at the Chiefs, right? The Chiefs they started out horrendous on defense last year. They changed out their coordinator. They had seven or seven new starters. By the time we got to the Super Bowl, they weren't great, but they were solid, man. Yep. They could get three or four stops a game, which is all really – if you have a good offense, that's all you really need, right? I mean, Chris Jones would, you know, ratchet it up there on a couple series. You know, their linebackers were better. They weren't great, but they were better. Tyron Matthew was a guy they were able to use, yeah. you know, for all his versatility. And, you know, they made enough plays. It ended games to win games. And by the end of the year, they were – you know, they weren't the 85 Bears, but they were solid. Yeah. yeah well, and I, and, and I think you bring up a great point about coord, you know, coordinators and versatility, right? You know, that's kind of what Simmons gives you is if you have a lot, a lot of weaknesses and you have a player that yeah. can sort of play a bunch of different roles, then, you know, all for Kansas city it was like, Oh, all of a sudden Daniel Sorensen isn't asked to do anything he's bad at. Right. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, the linebackers aren't asked to cover anymore because Matthew can sort of cover backs if you need him to. And you're right. I mean, and, and that's what Simmons, I think as a, or if you think about Jeffrey Akuda, if Jeffrey Akuda comes in and he's a shutdown number one cornerback, then all of a sudden uh, DeAndre Baker isn't asked to, you know, he, he doesn't have as much pressure on him to be that guy for the, for the team because he clearly struggled last year. So, yeah, there's a lot. And that's sort of the beauty of, you know. It would be the ultimate pick for them because, you know, since, you know, they got rid of Jason Pierre-Paul, uh, I mean, they haven't had that guy. You know, that yeah. one guy that, hey – you know, if he if you single block him, there's a chance he's probably going to get your quarterback. And, you know, you, they haven't had that person and they really need that person and that kind of player. So to me, I mean, 
Who's the next best guy at defensive end? Who's the next best defensive end in this draft for you guys? Uh, Second rounder? Curtis (laughs) Weaver or, yeah. I mean, it's a a while before you get to another guy that's worthy of a pick. Um, What I'm hearing hearing is that they need to trade that pick for like four other picks right behind it so that they can draft four great players to help them out next year. What do you you think? What do you think? What do you think? Do it. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think, Fred, about about using, uh, you know, because you have a top half of the second round pick. What do you think of using that, sending that pick over to Jacksonville for Yannick Ngakwe or, uh, you know, signing, you know, Jadavion? I mean, I mean, the cap space thing might be an issue, but like to me, that might be your best bet in terms of getting somebody who's proven at the thing that, you know, as you said, pass rushing matters quite a bit here. Um, is that more enticing if they're, cause I think the price to move up to two might be higher maybe than other than, you know, from a draft perspective than actually acquiring somebody like, like Nangakwe. You know, Ngakwe is someone who I've ne- I don't think I've had a Jacksonville game since he's been on the team. <laughs> I think I had a game his rookie year where he actually made a few plays in this preseason game against your Bengals. Uh, but <laughs> I think, uh, so I don't really know him well enough. Clowney, Oh, look, I think Cloudy's going to be severely disappointed here that he's not going to get the money he thought he was going to get and thinks he deserves. Whether he deserves it or not, you know, I think in his mind, he was $20 million a year. He was going to kind of get that money. So I don't know what kind of clowny you're going to get, you know, if, you mm-hmm. know, you're getting a bargain clowny, uh, you know, come summertime. Not uh, going to get more than Romo. What's that? I said he's not going to get more than Romo. No, he's not going to get more. Than- <laughs> <laughs> um, I, okay, so this is this is the question that I've been. I can't wait to hear your thoughts on. I'm sure you thought of it a bunch. We look forward to next season. Right. Is there a next season? If it is, is it happening at stadiums without fans? Are you sequestered on Mars in a quarantine? Like you must be running through how you know you might produce a game in all of these different scenarios. But what are your thoughts on that right now? Well, I mean, look, I, I'm trying to I'm trying to stay as positive as I can uh, because I just think that the alternative is is not a world anybody wants to live in. Uh, so you know, I'm hopeful we're going to have NFL football in September, um, and, and actually in training camp as well in August. Uh, you know, will we have it in front of fans? I don't know. Um, without, you know, with a much more robust thing system, it's hard to feel like, you know, you're going to want to be in a stadium with 75,000 people right. you know, for a game. So if we're, if we're in state, you know, you know, if the NFL, you know, the, the question for the NFL would be, we can't, we can't start the season with fans of September, but wait October, we might be able to have full fans, which would play a, 12 game season or, you know, whatever, whatever it takes to get to the Super Bowl date and do that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I run these scenarios in my head, you know, we have so much access to the teams when we're doing games, you know, we go to their facility, uh, we watch practice, we talk to the coaches, we talk to the players, we sit in a small room, you know, I don't see that happening. You know, I don't, I, and I can't, I, I have a hard time picturing teams letting people outside the immediate organization into their facility, you know, unless we've got a test that you could take the test when you walk in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's negative. Come on in. 
which, you know, who knows what it's going to be like by then. But I think the access to the teams is going to change. So I think it'll be more of doing these kind of meetings, you know, where, than what we're doing right here on, on Zoom. Um, but, you know, it's, you know, uh, I think college football is going to have a little bit of a harder road because yeah. of 50,000 kids back on campus, mm-hmm. you know, our parents going to want to send their kids back to campus. And can you guarantee that you're going to have a, you know, a vibratory environment? I don't, I don't know how you can do that. So yeah. it, uh, there's going to be a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, innovation here in the next weeks, months, year. You bring up a good point, which is what if it's like a, it's like two months away, right? So it's like, okay, we start without fans. The fan experience at football games is like, it's unlike any other sporting event, right? There's only eight home games. It means so much. If there's already, say the NBA finals are, you know, starting in October too, would you not just say, okay, why don't we, can we push the Super Bowl into March? Like, is that something that you think is actually feasible or does it have to be, do we have to shorten the season? Well, I think the question would be, you know, I don't think the NFL, I mean, and this is, this is the quandary for every league right now. How far out can you push your season and then start your next season right. where you normally right. start? If you're saying we're playing the Super Bowl in March, okay, well, when are we doing the combine? When are we doing the draft? When are we evaluating all these players? When are we doing free agency? You know, uh, yeah. so I don't see that as a, a real solution. I would say – Maybe we can move the Super Bowl back a week or maybe to President's Weekend and play it then. But then, hey, is Tampa, does Tampa have hotel rooms that weekend? I don't, I don't know what's going on in Tampa this <laughs> weekend. Um, do they have the rooms? You know, uh, can the NFL still command all the facilities they command when they go to a Super Bowl? Or is this going to be a Super Bowl where, like, it's a game? You know, it's just another game. Yeah close to the special that the draft is going to be here. So I think, you know, those are obviously worst case scenarios that we all have to be thinking through right now. But, you know, I was talking to uh, someone who produces uh, the NBA and I said, but if your season ends on October 1st, when are you starting? Yeah. When are you starting the next year? I mean, you're going to start training camp, like, you know, two weeks, two weeks later, or, I know there's been a lot of talk about the NBA redoing their schedule and, you know, starting at Christmas and having playoffs go into July. But, you know, that's not something you want to be forced into, I don't think. So at some point, leagues are going to have to say 2020 is probably not going to happen or, hey, we just got to move right to the playoffs right now and and try to get this thing wrapped up by all the person. Yeah. Interestingly, I think, uh, honestly, you know, we talk about like the fans and that experience and how important that is and stuff. And I agree, but it, it really is like what you do and, and what, you know, what that really drives the league, right? I mean, fans have been filling up stadiums for decades, but the league hasn't been popular as popular as, as it is now without the production that we've, you know, the, the TV deals and the, and the games and the experience and all that kind of stuff. To me, I think like that has to be where the innovation is, right, in terms of how to pr- – how to provide a product for the league and the fans without, you know, despite all of these situations, because like, to me, that's where the catastrophe is of people, you know, who have been, you know, cause if we get to September and people haven't been out of their homes for, you know, carry the two six months. Right. And 
you know, and we don't have anything to watch on TV. That I think was where the catastrophe is, right? And and that's you know probably where the league has to be thinking ahead. Yeah, I mean, look, and we have to play without fans. Uh, you know, that's still a pretty significant revenue hit for the league because you know that that's no season ticket sales. That's right. no, you know, that's no parking. That's no, you know food it's none of that and yep. um it's a uh the greatest revenue driver in fell is the tv contracts there's no question about it but you're never counting on not having any ticket sales or any concession sales or right. any parking i mean and that that would be a pretty i mean it, it would be a fair economic hit to all the teams yep. I, I've, <laughs> I've solved it you pump fan noise in and you just uh create a stimulus package that th- those seem to be easy to do. What and if you had, pay for the concessions? What if you had a secondary? What if you had a secondary broadcast for fa- for uh, uh, for like pay per view only? That would be basically another way, right? So like oh. boxing, where you oh, well, pay a hundred dollars to get a souped up version of the game broadcast, just like you're there. Oh, I mean, I, I mean, I'm I'm trying to soup it up for you as much as I can. Like, <laughs> my, like the green zone isn't enough, Brad. Yeah. <laughs> to show i mean we could do different kinds of show but i mean look i think there'd be some things that the fans would enjoy because the audio on the field would be amazing i mean you'd yeah. be hearing everything yeah. you know you'd be yeah. hearing everybody's calls you'd be hearing the checks you'd be hearing coaches yelling at guys you'd be hearing it all uh because there's you're playing cavernous environment and the sounds are just going to be you know rebounding again so the audio experience for the fans would be different and I think fun. Uh, that natural excitement, though, that you get when a big game's a kickoff and on a big third down when you need a stop and those types of things, obviously, we'll miss those greatly. And look, it's not the same without the fans, but at least you have um, a sense of normalcy. Games are being played and uh, you're able to watch these games and people are writing about the games and players are talking about the games. And so, I mean, look, that's the worst, you know, that's one of the worst case scenarios, but mm-hmm. it's not as bad as not having games. Yep. I, I could not agree more. Okay. I want to get you out of here on this because we did this last year. Um, I think maybe this year, if you nod or wink, if we're, if we're close week one, uh, Thursday night, my thought is Kansas City at home versus Houston. Um, thoughts? I mean, it's uh, <laughs> it's on the schedule. <laughs> it's on the schedule. I mean, I think it's a pretty good game. I mean, uh, look, obviously it's a rematch of a wild yep. game. Uh, I would have liked to Trey Hopkins. Uh, yes. <laughs> so uh, so would all of Houston. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, I think that would be fine. Okay, and then Sunday night, uh, Tampa Bay uh, at home against New Orleans. I'll take it. There you go. There, there we are. <laughs> Fred, uh, are you able to keep swimming? Do you have a pool that you can use? Ah, uh, that's another. I mean, that's you know what I've done. I'm I'm now trying to. Uh, I've been doing a lot of walking, so I've been doing like okay. six or miles a day and trying to keep take the time down per mile but no yeah. the swim had to end because you know they closed every pool i i'm in the same boat and they just closed the apartment gym and now i'm doing like i'm driving my girlfriend nuts because i'm doing yeah. workouts in the house yes yeah, 
It's awful. My daughter goes out in the back and puts down a blanket and she does them in the backyard. So, <laughs> yeah, I wish I had one. Uh, Fred, <laughs> it is always a pleasure. Thank you for taking the time, man. And uh, stay safe out there. To, uh, but before, I got to ask you guys a question before we yep. do. Uh, best player in the draft. Let's start with you, George. Joe Burrow. He's the best player? Yeah. And who do you compare him to that's in the league right now? It's in the league right now. Or Ooh, that's good. fact that we would know. I, I really like, and I'm, I'm going to attribute uh, Mike Renner here, I really like the Romo comparison. Yeah, it's funny, you know, going back and watching these games this week on, on NBC, yeah. you know, like Rome, we had Romo's first start. I mean, Romo was really good, man. I mean, like yeah. I, I think Romo really doesn't get the credit he deserves because they didn't, they just didn't get to that Super Bowl. Here's here's a question because I watched that game in right. large part because I got to hear Matt. Right. I mean, I knew you guys were producing it, obviously, but um, how many quarterbacks that are in the league right now in their current state would you take over Romo basically at his prime? That's a good question. Obviously, you would take Mahomes. Yep. Uh, Deshaun Watson, yeah. that would be a hard call. Probably not. Yeah, not you know, yet. Tom and Drew, they're in their 40s now. So, you know, you would take those guys. And, you know, not 40s, but you would take those guys. No, Romo was terrific, man. It made a lot of plays, cover up a lot of uh, – a lot of issues the Cowboys had back in those days. I mean, it was unfortunate. He didn't get a lot of time with Tyron Smith and Zeke Martin and Travis Frederick and Lyle Collins. Yeah. He never had that group in front of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, no, he was a hell of a player. So, Eric, your top player? My comp for for uh, for Burrow is Deshaun Watson. Oh, okay. I think the the people are overblowing that his arm strength isn't very good, much like, and then they're both mobile and and both kind of just winners, right? It's kind of a um, the best player in the draft. And this sounds stupid because we try to convince you not to draft him, but yeah. I think Chase Young's the best player in the draft. Uh, yeah. I don't; he's not the most valuable, but he's the best. I think he's the probably the best the best player, probably the the surest bet to do really well. Um, so, Chase Young better than Bosa. Nick Bosa. Uh, I, I would say I think, yes. Yeah, I would say he projected about the same, maybe a little lower actually. But I, I, the other thing is that we don't know how good Chase Young is athletically because he's never tested. So uh, if you assume similar athleticism tests, I would say that, yeah, he's a little bit better than Nick Bosa. So, I'm going to say he's more athletic than Bosa. So okay. coming better than Clowney coming out of college. Uh, yeah, I think the issue is Clowney. I think Clowney was a lot, was really overrated coming out of college. Um, and, and he's kind of overrated now, frankly, like he's a really good run defender, but he doesn't get after the pass. He wants to play. Yeah. Yeah, But he doesn't get after the passer nearly as well as some of his contemporaries, the guys that are considered elite. Uh, I don't think he's a, as good of a pass rusher. Okay. All right, guys. I enjoyed it, man. As always. This is uh, this is my favorite podcast every year. All right, man. Take care. Thanks. Stay healthy. See ya. We All will. Right. All right. Big thanks to Fred for coming on. The guy is uh, – it was really kind of him, honestly, because he's got like 40 things clearly that he's thinking about right now. What was your big takeaways? One of optimism, pessimism? What, what did you come away from that with? Well, 
it, it's it's really cool that like his perspective is so much deeper than ours having done mm-hmm. the draft way back in the day and having done games and circumstances where, where football wasn't as popular as as it is now and now where it really is popular where he is saying you know the draft wasn't always this this fan spectacle it once was a yeah. boardroom in the middle of a hotel somewhere and so I can spin up entertainment from this no matter what. And so he, that's an optimistic take, I think, on his part. Um, and, and, that, and that was welcomed, I think, for my yeah. end. No, I, I came away with it optimistic as well. And he, here was why. The fact that guys like Fred are thinking about how do we produce the game of football in different situations which is what he's doing, right? He's already planning out the schedule. He's already thinking about if there's no fans, what do I do? Um, you know, if we have to go to some other remote location, what do I do? Gives me hope that the NFL as a whole are going to have these types of conversations and think enough. And you've got such a, like a head start that theoretically, if any organization should be able to have a full season, it's them. I also thought it was really interesting, the perspective of the importance of fans in his mind from a financial standpoint. Um, and like, I, I hadn't thought about, it. I had just thought of the TV deals, but if they, if they say, okay, well we can start the season without fans or we can make it three games shorter. I would have thought no chance they pick three games shorter, but he made it seem like maybe they would push it to October if they could have fans in the whole time. Yeah. That's an, and, and I just think from a, from the perspective of that, you know, the likelihoods, I think, I don't think three weeks makes that big of a difference, but True. it could, it, it would be, it's an interesting thought um, with so many stadiums now going towards personal seat licenses though. Would you think, do you think that it is as big of a financial problem as he lays it out to be right? Cause folks have to like buy the right to even own their seats at this point, which is, you know, a huge, I, I don't think the individual ticket sales is really the, the thing that is, you know, sort of driving revenue for some of these teams. No, I, I'd agree. And I think it matters more for the smaller teams where there is a sizable maybe portion of say that city that that works around these games right but i think there's a way um you know because we're uh, you know this is monday we, we recorded this uh, interview on friday so a couple of days that i've had to think about it one of the things i thought of was if you have five months to prepare for not having fans buying food in your stadium you have five months to prepare to sell food to fans that are watching at home mm-hmm. that would normally go to the game. Yep. And you have five months to prepare for a mobile experience where, Hey, if you want to pay 10 bucks, like you have a chance to, and I'm just spitballing here. Like what if you paid 20 bucks for an app that allowed you to make noise from a certain part of the stadium? Yeah. Like, yeah, I, I'm just saying there, there are ways to get around this given the amount of time we have. So um, I thought it was an interesting perspective from, from him given that he's been doing this for so much longer. Um, but I feel like there's gotta be a way around it. Yeah. Like I, like you said earlier, I think it's important. The, if, if the teams are thinking about in the, and the league is thinking about alternative uh, situations here, um, you know, what, what we can't have is I think what, you know, the president did say the other day, which is, look, we just can't ha- not have sports for that long. Mm-hmm. We just can't mm-hmm. not have – like, people who think that way are not dealing – they're dealing with how they think the world should be rather than how the world is, right? And that doesn't – and, you know, we try to talk about that on this on this show all the time. Like, 
you know, you have to look at the thing at things for the way they are. And in, in a circumstance like this, that's, that's just not going to cut it. You have to come up with a contingency. If you really want sports to happen, you have to not only take the guy, you know, consider, you know, consider very strongly the guidelines that the public health officials are giving you, but you also have to have, you know, craft solutions around them. Uh, and that's the thing we get. I think we feel, Oh, well, it's America. We always figure out a way and we'll figure out a way. But even that is different than saying like, it just has to be this way. So it will be, if you go, Hey, this is our goal. Like, is there any possible parameter set that allows us to meet that goal? Let's go try and hit them. That's one thing, but sitting back and being like, well, we're just going to make it so because we have to watch football September, you know, September 5th or whatever it is. Like that's a totally different one. So um, I'm with you. Any other, any other thoughts before we, uh, before we head out of here? No, uh, thank you guys all again for listening and, uh, you know, wa- you know, stepping through this, uh, this, t- this tough time with us. I'm looking forward to the draft in a, just, it seems like three short weeks. So it won't oh, be it's going to be fun. It won't be that far away. Uh, it, it was funny. I was looking at, you know, speaking of preparing for the draft, we have a mock draft that you can go read. Um, I'll just let you know right now. It's not our prediction of what will happen. We interviewed Evan Silva who does a mock draft that is better at predicting what will happen than anyone else out there. So you want to read that, go to establishmentcom read that. And then come to PFF and read what we would do um, and see how different it is. Um, I think that was a that was a fun exercise. And then we've got uh, we've got Kev Cole coming on the podcast on Thursday, so that'll be a lot of fun. So uh, hope you enjoyed Fred, and we'll talk to you guys on Thursday. Bye.